Alright, we're uh, continuing in our study of Hebrews and today I'd like to uh, continue with chapter 5 and look in particular at uh, verse 7. But let me read a portion of here so that we can, uh, uh, surrounding verse 7, and get an idea of the, the uh, context. In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal life. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I want to argue that verse 7, the hard teaching, the thing that we have much to say but it's going to be very hard to explain. He's going to explain it, just not yet. He, he interrupts himself. The hard teaching he's really going to take up is in chapter 6 concerning Jesus' high priesthood. And I think the hard teaching then of his high priesthood directly relates to his bodily resurrection and his ascension. Resurrection is often thought, uh, and strangely, it's not strange that it's theological liberals but also others who have read Hebrews and think that resurrection has been left out of Hebrews. And same theological liberals read, read John. And they say, oh, Hebrews and John, these are sort of Gnostic texts. Um, and this, this is actually precisely what is taught at Truman in the Bible department. Uh, I think this is precisely wrong. So in arguing for the resurrection, in arguing for the bodily resurrection of Christ... I have a particular understanding of Christianity in mind, and I'm arguing against that, and I believe it is the easy Christianity. Uh, it is the understanding, yes, of theological liberalism, which would deny the necessity of the resurrection, but it is also the teaching of much conservatism and fundamentalism, not in denying the resurrection, but which undercuts the importance of the bodily resurrection because Christianity is thought simply to be about our personal relationship to Jesus or our souls going to heaven when we die. I think we can call all of this, we may not be wrong to call it Gnosticism, the belief that this world is in some way not real or is only a secondary reality. And the real stuff then is pictured as elsewhere. It's either inside of us or it's in heaven. And Jesus' bodily resurrection and ascension, if that is central to the gospel, if that is central to the book of Hebrews, it undercuts this. And so that's why I think it's important to say, oh, resurrection is front and center in Hebrews. It's front and center in John. It's front and center in the New Testament. Gnosticism emerges, or what we might call Gnosticism in, in modernity, among Protestants because Protestantism assumes most everything we have received from the tradition is inadequate and cannot answer the question, 
the unique questions of our existence, especially the question of evil. I think the Hebrew writer is arguing that sin and evil are directly addressed in the person and work of Christ, inclusive in this passage of his sinless suffering, his faithfulness in the face of death. This faithfulness directly results in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, ascension of Christ. And this is by implication the defeat of the last enemy, which is death. That death is tied then to evil. And resurrection is God's resolution. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are a real world defeat of evil. It is not an abandonment of this world. It's not an abandonment of the human condition. But it brings heaven and earth together. The new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, is present among us. It has come down from heaven, as pictured in Revelation. The creation itself, as Paul says, is groaning in travail. Christ takes all that is human into the presence of God and all that is divine and he mediates those two things and that's the meaning of his high priesthood. Behind Gnosticism, behind liberal Protestantism, behind the thing I think we're fighting in our churches is the notion that the material world is in some way inherently evil or it's unreal. In Christianity is the notion that creation is a fit dwelling place for God and a place where God and humans can commune. Hebrews 5.11 and following, it, it is a digression, I think, from the hard teaching, which the writer has to say. But the hard thing he's going to take up in 6, you know, 19, 6, he's already going to talk about the priesthood of Christ is in the order of Melchizedek. And this is then, I think, the, the, the thing he's talking about. And a key question is, what is specifically hard about it? Certainly it's the priesthood of Christ, but we can be more specific as to what this entails and why it's so hard. And I would suggest that it is the bodily ascension of Jesus. And the fact that the mediating work of Christ is to mediate humanity and all that it means to be human and deity, and all that it means to be God. That is, that he's bringing heaven and earth, divine and human, together, not as a temporary condition of the incarnation, but as an ongoing condition of the the Christian belief. Ultimately, I believe Hebrews is teaching that Christ mediates the created order to the creator and the creator to creation. He's picturing the mediating work of Christ on the basis of the particular kind of life he lived. He suffered, you know, his death, his resurrection. And the way that the writer is describing these two realms being brought together is specifically through his understanding of the role of resurrection, uh, which maybe you're saying, well, this is an odd thing because you've already read through and you've counted up the number of times the writer mentions resurrection. Uh, In 6.2, He talks about instructions of washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead. In 11, Isaac, your descendants, you know, he says he considered that God is able to raise people 
even from the dead. I'm, I'm telling you all the places there's resurrection. There's not too many. But I'm saying these places are key. In 1135, women received their, uh, back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured. And he says, so that they might be, uh, obtain even a better resurrection. The only clear reference to Jesus' resurrection in the whole book of Hebrews is 13.20-21. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through whom Jesus Christ to whom be the glory through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. That is, the one who is brought up from the dead. I think here in 5.7 though, is a more subtle allusion to the resurrection. It First of all, it says, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. My question to you Did God save him from death? And how? It says, he was heard because of his piety. Did God hear him? This is, you know, theological liberalism, Adolf von Harnack. He says, well, actually, the text has been tempered with. The original text reads, and he was not heard. (laughs) His prayers uh, were not answered. But the text here says, no, God heard and answered his prayer. But how? Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And obviously this includes the suffering unto death. And then we talked last week, having been made perfect, he came to all those who obey him. The source of eternal salvation being designated a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So there are a number of different suggestions as to what prayer God heard. You know, clearly Jesus was not rescued from death on the cross. He died on the cross. Some suggest the hearing refers to Jesus' exaltation to the heavenly realms. Others think that it's the acceptance of the efficacious nature of Jesus' sacrificial death. That is, he prays, you know, accept this Uh, Some think it's the uh, efficacious nature of Jesus' high priestly prayer on behalf of people. Jesus desired, or others say, Jesus desired to be freed from death, not death per se, but from the fear of death. I'm saying, no, I don't think that's too complicated. There's a very simple answer. How was Jesus' prayer answered? Was he delivered from death? Yes, through resurrection, right? That's when he was delivered. To understand 5.7, we need to recognize that Jesus stands as the chief example, this is important, of the pattern in which God rewards those who persevere, faithfully persevere in the times of testing. That is, what is faith, you know, the substance of faith? How do we persevere? Jesus is the, the example of faith. He's already argued, he says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the ascension, I think, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who 
cannot sympathize, but one who's been tempted. Yeah. So he's suffered, he's died, he's ascended, right? So what is the nature of faith? How is Jesus' prayer answered? Resurrection faith. Resurrection is central. And the argument here is, if you do not have the resurrection of Jesus, you do not have Christianity. You do not have Christian faith. If you can have a Christianity that can teach that the resurrection of Jesus is not a necessity, I don't think it's the same religion. I think we're doing a different religion up north here. Sin entails more than a mere lack of faith. It's connected in 2.14. He says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render him powerless who had the power of death. That is the devil. And that he might free those who, uh, uh, who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Resurrection faith is a reorientation. It's a deliverance from the fear of death. Take care, brethren, that there will not be any of you an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. How? What would be an unbelieving heart? It would be a heart that does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you've fallen away from the living God who gives us resurrection life. He says, encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today. So that you not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you deny the resurrection, if you do not have resurrection faith, your heart has been hardened, you've been deceived, you've fallen into the fear that he's describing. It's no longer Christianity. Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter, and they were not able to enter because of unbelief? Unbelief leaves us short of the rest of belief in the resurrection. This belief directly encounters an evil in which death would reign, leaving us dead in the wilderness. Indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, but they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. I think we can do a lot of preaching, we can do a lot of listening, but if we do not specifically have the faith of resurrection, the resurrection faith, I think we have hardened hearts. We have a word that does us no good. It does not help us. Faithlessness in the midst of testing is closely connected with sin. It leaves us subject to fear, subject to deception, the devil, subject to unrest, subject to dying metaphorically in the wilderness. The commitment, the, co- the comment that Jesus was without sin when tested is the behavior that, you know, during this time of testing, what was it that Jesus had that we are to emulate? He knew that he would be delivered from death. How was he delivered from death? Not that he didn't die, but that he was raised again. And that is our faith. 5.7 clarifies, you know, one of the ways he trusted and cried out to the one who was able to save him out of the realm of death. He entered the realm of death and was saved out of it. A key element of Jesus' faith was the belief that God was able to resurrect him out of the realm of death. 
if resurrection is the case, if your personal resurrection is the case, think about it a minute, and I'm not saying it isn't a hard teaching, this certainly throws a different light on your life. But it is a hard thing to believe, maybe. As with Abraham, it will set you on a different life course. But I think this is the significance of Jesus' high priesthood. He mediates our capacity to live out this resurrection life. We can have faith in God, as 6 1 2 says, in the face of death. Resurrection faith belongs to the most elementary teaching. By faith, when Abraham, when he was called, obeying God, by go, he obeyed God by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Our resurrection, faith, directly pertains to our beginning to receive the inheritance, the kingdom, the recognition of the nature of this kingdom. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's our faith. We need to go in, you know, we need to go out, rather, and recognize the the eternal city, the kingdom of God that is shaping uh, our life in the church. Faith, you know, Sarah's faith, she... Uh, received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. That is, life came out of death for Sarah. Life came out of death for Abraham. And this is the power of resurrection, Paul's descri- or the writer of Hebrews describing. Therefore there was born even of one man in him as good as dead, Hebrews 11, the prop, you know, uh, that many descendants as the stars in heaven in number. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. So again and again in the book of Hebrews, he doesn't, you know, I think it's always there. This is what he's always talking about. He specifically brings it up in these places. With Isaac, he was able... He he trusted God. He believed that he was able to raise him from the dead. And the writer says, this is a type of resurrection faith. And so all of this suggests the conclusion that the portrayal of Jesus' own response in the midst of of testing in 5-7 illustrates the kind of faith that we are to have. Jesus' faith, the one which demonstrates his reverence, is resurrection faith. Uh, Jesus crying out to God is the obedience that gives him, you know, we are to to follow. It follows that Jesus' faithful endurance even unto death seems to imply this is the heart. This is the very substance of what the writer calls reverence or piety. It is connected to the power of life. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything. We become partakers of the divine nature. How do we become partakers of the divine nature? Through the power, the life power of the resurrection. So, God heard him. I don't think Von Harnack is correct. (laughs) Uh, And he heard him, uh, and he hears us, God's people, or the afflicted righteous one, crying out to God in times of need. This is a theme in Scripture. 
in times of dire need. What is our time of dire need? The, the time when we face death. God's hearing connotes the salvation of those crying out. Jesus' cry was heard, indicates that God did in fact save him through resurrection. And this salvific action on his behalf, we can say, well, it occurred after his death. So Jesus was rewarded in that God heard him and saved him out of the realm of dead. This is the consistent argument of the book of Hebrews. And this, you know, this is 11, 17, and 19, and 5, 7. I think they both picture Abraham and Jesus are described as having been tested. We're all tested, aren't we? We're all facing this circumstance. Uh, And the writer speaks of God as having the ability or power to deliver in both instances. God is able to save someone out of death appears to be the primary element. I'm saying this because I think this is where we need to focus. Faith in God's power to save out of death, motivated by the behavior of Jesus given in the prototype of Abraham, is the substance of Christian faith. In both instances, the faithful endurance is rewarded. It enables us to endure. Jesus was heard, he was raised. Abraham was heard and received Isaac back again. In both passages, perseverance leads to salvation in relationship to death. So faith in God is the one who can raise the dead is the essential way that we can endure testing. God is shown to reward such faith with salvation. So in the midst of Jesus' faithful suffering, God heard him and brought him, 1320 claims, out of the dead. 12.2 stands at the climax, you know, of the list of those who are faithful. Jesus is the, at the pinnacle of that. And it, it, uh, the picture is that Jesus is the main example. You know, he's the culmination. They didn't receive, but Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith is the one who has obtained what they did not obtain. What did he obtain? He obtained resurrection. That's what the writer argues. He obtained the heavenly city. It is the category that, uh, you know, his exaltation to the throne of heaven uh, permits him entry, having passed through death and resurrection. Uh, so Jesus great high priesthood how, why is he enabled to be high priest because he's passed through the heavens he's passed through death he's passed through suffering he's been raised from the dead so we've got three characteristics that enable him to be high priest he's able to sympathize because he suffered with us in, you know, uh, up to and including death he's been called by God and his enduring life his resurrection life We can say the pre-existent Christ had enduring life, but now the Son of Man, the High Priest, the one who knows our suffering and weakness, is made greater than the angels by the fact that he has put on humanity. He is one who is able to sympathize and mediate eternally for us at the right hand of God because of his humanity. So this isn't a Gnostic text. Uh, in which Jesus flies away and we fly away. His bodily ascension is just the opposite of departure. His body remains for us in the church. 
He is present to us in His body. And God is present through His body. We are given another counselor who binds us together in the body of Christ. And enables us to cry, Abba, Father. This is a hard saying. But here is the very essence of what the meat of the word consists. Let's sing.